Welcome to a, a, a new podcast. This is uh, going to be called No Bones with um, Jamie. Uh, the show's or the podcast is going to be um, surrounding mental health, and Jamie has a huge experience with that. Um, so uh, I'll just play this song, and then uh, we'll be over to Jamie. We might kiss. We are alone. Nobody's watching You might take it home We might make out When nobody's there It's not that we're scared It's just that it's delicate So why'd you feel my sorrows with the words you borrow from the only place you've known? And why'd you say? You there, Jamie? Hello, Lakey. Who are you? Hello, hello. Sorry, I was just playing some Damien Rice there for you, just to introduce oh, nice. you. Um, obviously, Lovely. Well, the reason this come about today is obviously um, you've been listening to the show on Sport and Airing that we've got, haven't you? I mean, and um, I think it's kind of given, it's given you a bit of inspiration to maybe do your own podcast. So um, yeah. we, we've been chatting, and because I've got all the equipment, we thought it'd be really nice to give you a, a chance to do your first one on here and then um you know you're going to try and get it out there and get some feedback from people but i think what you're looking to do is um cor- correct me if i'm wrong but you want to um talk about what you've been through to get the ball rolling so your life um you're very open on twitter that you know you're you're not a closed book you're a very open book you talk about the struggles you've had with mental health you talk about uh, drug addiction that you've had um ongoing health yep. issues and just um, yeah. you know what you've been doing with your life generally, really, up until this point. So what I'm going to do, um, I, I think the idea is, you know, I'm I'm just going to help you with this one, and then um, you know, the idea is hopefully you're going to uh, carry on with your own one, and then um, hopefully you're going to get other guests on, maybe or people off of Twitter or other social media accounts that maybe having you know suffered uh, similar kind of things to yourself, or you know, and hopefully you can be a yeah. bit of an inspiration and get people to talk, which is the most important important thing especially when it comes to mental health 
So definitely, so, that's the plan, Loki. That's the plan. Fabulous. So, do you want to tell us a bit about you? Let let, let people know who you are. Yeah, sure. Well, my name is Jamie. Obviously, I'm 43 years old. Uh, I've had a lot of problems in my life, which, as Loki said, I'm very, very open about. I see no point in hiding things. I want people to know the real me. I, I don't put on any persona on um, social media or anything. Mm. Uh, I struggled a lot. I, even as a teenager, I struggled. I had a lot of... Uh, I was very, a very anxious, very, very anxious teenager. And I had a lot of pent-up anger and aggression. Uh, I had a very, very... Uh, let's just say he wasn't very nice. My first stepfather... Um, I had a lot of um, anger and aggression. Um, I cut it come to like when I was like 15, 16 years old, I think. And even though my mum's not a deeply religious person, she doesn't attend church or anything. She does, she does believe. She, she's a believer. And things got so bad for me that, excuse me, things got so bad for me that my mum thought that I was possessed. So oh. she got. Uh, yeah, she, she got our local um, Catholic priest to come out and have a chat with me. Mm. And fair play to him, you know, because I, I was expecting him to go down the possession route. But he he said to my mum, your son isn't possessed. He's got uh, mental health problems. So when was so, the, what, what sort of year was that? When, what sort of year are you talking about? Well, so so let's I was born in 77, so about 1993-ish right, so. is, it, it is when it started kind of peaking, yeah. you know? Yeah. What sort of behaviours were you exhibiting then to make her think you were because of possession? I mean, like you say, if your mum's not religious, I mean, I, I presume in your head wasn't spinning around on your body or, or anything no, like that at all. Was it no, more just no, anger no, issues? Or? It was, I, I was beginning to start talking to myself yeah. and um, things like that, you know? Mm. Uh, I'd be having conversations with myself. Yeah. Uh, I'd be up in my room shouting and screaming, and my mum would think that there would be somebody up there with me arguing with me, and she'd come flying up, open the door, and it would be me mm. standing there waving my arms around and shouting, and, yeah. and you know, so, so the, uh, the, I'm not the priest that came out to the house and obviously saw you. I mean, what 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 advice did he give to your mum? Did he say obviously he told you you weren't possessed, but um, yeah, he he, ad he he advised my my mum to take me to the doctors, which fair play to him. I mean, he could have gone down the, the other route and yeah, yeah. stuff, but you know, but he he uh, he, he advised my mum to take me to the doctors. Right, and uh, something I must add as well. Um, around this sort of time, I was this was when I was starting to get into the drug scene. I was quite a late starter. Yeah. I didn't start smoking till I was 17, I think, to smoking cigarettes. But when I started, I, I hit it really hard. Like, I didn't just go, I'd smoke the odd little joint here and there. I was doing loads of, I don't know if the listeners know what lungs and buckets are. But yeah. it's difficult difficult to explain what mm. they are. So, mm. so I was hitting them really hard. I was doing a lot of LSD. Um, Believe it or not, I, I was working at its time when I left school. I did, I left school, I messed up all my exams, all my education. Mm. Um, and part of this was because of behaviour I was exhibiting. 
uh, you know, and so such anger and being anxious all the time. So I left school with no qualifications. I ended up getting a few jobs. My father got me, my father got me a good job, a really good, well-paid job on a building site. So I, I was used to having no money, and I went from having no money to having quite a lot of money. And I ended up, you know, it all went on drugs. And that's when my behavior started getting really, really, really extreme. Like talking to myself. And it got to a stage where my mum couldn't have me living, living at her house anymore. Yeah. So she, she had to. She had no choice. She couldn't have me there because I had a younger brother. My behavior was... Uh, disturbing yeah so she she you know at the time i kind of resented her but looking back now as an adult i totally understand why she did it so i was uh i ended up going to live in a hostel mm. and then that's when it all spiraled and, and it just this it wasn't long after that my first admission to a psychiatric I was with a girl at the time and my behaviour was just getting so absurd or, you know, it was it was a sign of my conditions. But mm. um, she didn't really realise that. It was scary for her. I was, like, thinking that um, my TV was communicating with me and stuff like that. So mm. this is what led up to my first mission to a site. Yeah, yeah. I was 18, I think. I, was, I think I was, yeah, I was 18. And I went there, and it was a scary, scary experience. I mean, for an 18-year-old in a, a psychiatric hospital, I mean, it must have been very daunting. I mean, I know, obviously, you were unwell. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you must have had periods where your mental health, even whilst you were there, you know, you must have still had times where you, you wondered how you ended up there, I presume? or Yeah, you're exactly right, Lakey. Uh, obviously, it my health mental illnesses and mental health problems can fluctuate. So one day you can be extreme, the next day you can kind of, you know, be a little bit, it, especially so with my, with borderline personality disorder, because that's yeah. one of the main things I've been going through. So it's like a roller coaster. You can, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know this, but it's very much like uh, bipolar, but bipolar on steroids. Mm. So, you know, literally in the 24 hours, your emotions can, all over the place and, and stuff. So yeah. it was a very, very daunting and scary experience. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, this was, uh, I was 18 years old. And back then, not so much now, but back then, it was more about dosing people up on medication to keep them quiet. Yeah. Um, nowadays, they seem to offer, even though it's hard to get help, when you do get the help now, they do offer a lot more talking therapies, a lot more cognitive behavioural therapy, uh, dialectal behavioural therapy, yeah. which is all all good. But back then, it's just right. Here's another one. Pump them full of uh, acryl. and you know that's when it kind of it kind of it, it was like no going back then. Um, so between the ages of eighteen and twenty six, I was in and out. From uh, back and forth to these places. Uh, so I'd be released, 
on a load of medication, I'd be taking it for a little while, and then I'd be convinced that they were trying to poison me with the medication, so I'd stop taking the medication. And that's, that's more common and than it, people would realise as well with mental health, isn't it? When, um, it is, when the patients yeah. are getting the medication, obviously due to the very nature of the condition, you know, the yeah. paranoia is a big part of it, and, you know... Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, a lot of that is they feel that the world's against them, and that the people that are actually trying to help them are actually trying to make their condition worse. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right, Lakey. Um, yeah. uh, my, my first diagnosis when I was in there was paranoid schizophrenia. So uh, they didn't really know. Uh, I had so many different diagnoses in a short period of time. They didn't mm. really know because I was exhibiting symptoms of. Lots of different symptoms, and, and mental health problems can be very, very, very hard to pinpoint mm. because they often have overlapping symptoms. You know, so uh, like auditory and visual hallucinations, most people associate that with schizophrenia. Yeah. If you tell somebody that you're hearing voices or or you're seeing things, oh, you're schizophrenic. But that's not always the case. Like people with bipolar can have hallucinations. Yeah. People with borderline personality disorder. So it's very, very hard for them. They have a very, very difficult job. Even though when I was in there, I did resent them a little bit. You know, obviously, I saw them as the enemy. But they have a very, very hard job of looking after people. Yeah. You know, they, they do a pretty good job. But it's very, very difficult to diagnose. Sometimes... It's probably it's a very challenging job they have as well. I mean, if you think of from very, those, very you know, because they have multiple patients in these, you know, within the units, and you know, I'm yeah. sure trying to manage all of those patients, manage the conditions, you know, it, it, you know, we all know the NHS, you know, with the different cuts that have happened over the years, and more of a focus of on community care, you know, um, yeah, it, it's for the for the staff themselves, you know, it must be quite sort of. Um, difficult for them i'm sure some days they must leave work and, th and wonder you know if they've what they've achieved you know because of course you know it's 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 both sides of the coin there sometimes isn't it but as a patient yeah. in there with mental health i'm sure like you were saying you know at that moment at that that moment in, in time that's not what you're going to be thinking you're you know you're thinking of your own you know you're trying to deal I, with your own sort of issues i sometimes saw them as the enemy and mm. I, even though i wasn't violent and i did lash out because that's that's like a common misconception with people that don't really understand. Mm. Like most most people with mental health problems, they they're, they're more likely to become victims of violence mm. than they are to to be perpetrators of yeah, violence. Yeah, you know, uh, there's still a lot of stigma. People with mental health problems they get bullied a lot. Uh, I mean, for instance, when I first came out, when I was first released. Uh, not long before that, uh, we, I was doing, you know, what, what most teenagers do. I was going up to town on a, on a weekend and having a drink and stuff when I was, you know, with, with all my mates. And there was a group of guys in my town, and they were known as bullies. They mm. would just target anybody. Mm. And I had a girlfriend at the time, and they would all surround me and try and intimidate me and, and start going after my girl and stuff like that. And... You know, nothing ever happened, really. It was all sort of like bravado, really. But but when I came out of the psychiatric unit, this is how much of a stigma and how misunderstood it is. These guys, they wouldn't come near me. And and one of them, I saw, I spoke to him, and he's like, is it true that you've just come out of 
these, these are his words. Is it true you've just come out of a nut house? And I'm like, well, I wouldn't use that word. But mm. yeah, I've come, just been in a psychiatric. Oh, right. Oh, oh okay. And, and they left me alone from, from then on. So yeah. it's a bit of a social stigma. People didn't really want to come near me, you know, mm, because mm. They, they didn't really understand. They thought I was going to lash out. But mm. I've, mean, never, ever, I've never ever been arrested and charged with violence. I'm not a violent person. No, no. Uh, no. I've, I've been a victim of violence more, more, more you know. And I suppose Sorry, that's something like, when you, no, I was, you just hit the nail on it. A, a lot, a big part of people with mental health condition, you know, mental health illness, is they're very vulnerable. Yeah. So you know, I, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know if it's so much now, but back then, you know, like you said, there was that stigma that anyone that would have been in a mental health facility, you know, the nut house, as they were calling it, you know, um, people automatically assumed that people that have been, you know, in those places were violent individuals. It's probably, you know, watched a lot of scary Hollywood movies like Halloween with Michael Myers or something, yeah, you know, or Jason yeah. Voorhees or whatever, you know, but they just presume yeah. that people with a, a mental health illness are extremely, you know, prone to outbursts of violence, which, you know, you've just said is not the case. If if anything, it's the, it's the complete opposite. And a lot of those guys and girls can be um, extremely vulnerable and, yeah. you know, can be led off. Um, exploited in lots of different ways, be it through money or, you know, work or whatever it may be, you know. Um, so, I mean, the, going back to the drug side of things, I mean, you, like I say on yeah. Twitter, you're very kind of open and honest about your, 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 the problems you've had with drugs in yeah. the past. I mean, how long is it now since you've you've been clean from drugs? Oh, it's... I went to prison in 2015. Since, what, yeah, five years. Five, five years, years now. That's really impressive. Well done, well done for that. But thank you. Thank I mean, you, yeah. do you think the drugs played played a part in in the mental health that that you suffered back then? Do you oh, think... certainly, certainly, I, I certainly do. Mm. Um, at one time, some of the doctors were talking about drug induced psychosis, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I'm not going to get into the the pros and cons of smoking weed because it works for some people, it doesn't work for other people. But I was smoking an awful lot of weed and then, you know, like in big amounts, not just a little bit. And then not long after that is when I was first in the psychiatric unit. So um, it kind of, you know, it's not guaranteed, but it, it kind of does suggest that it played a part. Yeah. But there's also, there's also on, on the other hand, uh, borderline personality disorder. As um, I mean, for nine people that diagnostic traits. For people that maybe don't, sure, could you? For people, some people may not understand the terminology like borderline personality. So, do you want to explain maybe yeah. a little bit about what that is? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it, well, it's uh, it's classed as a obviously personality disorder. Mm. Um, it has nine diagnostic traits. You only need five of them. You only need to tick five of the boxes to be diagnosed. Yeah. So basically. I, my emotions are very, very difficult to control. That's the main thing with borderline personality disorder. Mm. You find it very, very hard to regulate your emotions. Um, so I could go from being happy to being sad at the drop of a hat. And, you know, it's like a, it is literally like a roller coaster. And one of the other things is black and white thinking. Yeah. That's what that's what they that's what they call it black and white thinking. Mm. I I do my best to try and avoid black and white thinking. 
but it but it is very very difficult. So either something's really really good or it's really really bad. There's no, no in between. Uh, there's no in between. No no no. I, I do my best to try and make sure there is an in between, but it's very very difficult. Um, it is actually known as one of the most difficult uh, mental health conditions to treat. Yeah. Uh, actually, because it's also very difficult to diagnose because, like I say, uh, a lot of my symptoms were symptoms of other conditions. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, there, there's like, I think there's 10 main recognised personality disorders. Yeah. It is, a, it is in light, I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, I'd have to get my book, but there's like type A and type B, I think. Uh, but uh, antisocial personality disorder which is what most people know as uh, sociopathy that is obviously a personality disorder Mm. Uh, it's not it's not technically a mental illness but I they also diagnosed me with that so technically according to them I'm a sociopath but you know uh, Hollywood has blurred the lines again with with sociopathy because everybody assumes that they're all absolute raving lunatics that go around killing people but it's very difficult mental health conditions are very very difficult to understand even for the people that have them Mm. so it, it must be even more difficult for people that don't I mean, so, it's very scary for family members as well. I was going to say, you hit the nail on the head. I was going to say not only for the you know, the patients, but for the people that surround them. I suppose it can be extremely challenging. And I suppose sometimes very, we do forget about that, you know. And you know, we do a lot of focus yeah. on mental health and how it affects the individual. But we've also got to think about how it affects those around them and maybe the, you know the support that they need to make sure that yeah. they're doing the best for the the patient and also for themselves. You know, because it has that you know that you know, it can cause all sorts of further issues, you know, within a, a family unit, can't it, you know? and It has you know, a ripple effect, ripple like, effect, doesn't it? Yeah, you know. And, yeah, it, uh, has a, it has a serious ripple effect. Yeah, um, which can have long-term consequences for everybody, you know. So, um, I mean, do you do you, do you think that um, social media is, I know we, it can be a very powerful tool, um, yeah. but can it, it can be positive and negative do you think a lot of what we see on sort of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook I mean I'm not on Facebook and stuff but do you think a lot of uh, especially for the younger generation now there's more pressure I mean we're talking about the 90s when you were first diagnosed where there wasn't social media yeah. there wasn't these kind of things around you know um, we were lucky if we could find 20p to make a phone call you know from a phone box <laughs> yeah. that worked but yeah. you know now they've got access to phones and laptops and tablets and iPads and you know the, an endless supply of different technology um, so they can connect yeah. with the, the, the larger world. But um, do you think, you know, with the benefit of that, there's also the negative that that's, that, that increases mental health problems? It's, uh, I would certainly say it does. Um, it, it puts a lot more pressure on people. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, it, it's not just young girls that feel pressure pressured to look a certain way. Mm. People often forget that, that young boys are just, a, just as uh, susceptible to that. You know, mm. like you, you go on online, you see pictures of Jason Momoa without his top on or yeah. whatever, all plastered all over your timeline, mm. and you're mm. a, and you're like a, a little skinny kid like I was, and, and you're like, you know, you know what I mean. I um, do. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, guys are just as feel just as pressured and just as anxious about how they look. 
so that brings a lot a lot of uh, pressure to the plate. Mm. And then you've got, you know, because we've, we've witnessed it ourselves, you and I, um, you've got people, trolls, horrible trolls uh, that take the mickey out of people with disabilities and mm. mental health problems mm. and stuff. Mm. You know, so, so sometimes it's good to take a step back from social media. It can be difficult. But then when you do meet with people, that kind of makes up, that kind of counteracts the bad people. Because yeah. obviously I met you on Twitter. I've met a few other guys who I'm in contact with who've got my number. I don't just give my number out to anybody, mm. but there's a few guys, yourself included, that I've, I've exchanged numbers on Twitter. So there's that. But then when it can, it can get a bit like I dread to like my my eldest girl is 11, mm. and you know she. You've all got phones now. Like if she if she didn't have a phone, she'd be more of a target for the police. So yeah. she's got a phone. You know, it's terrible. They've all got to fit in. Yeah, uh, no, pressure. Mm. It, it was bad enough when I was younger. Mm. Um, you know, all the kids had to have night trainers, night tracksuits, or, or you, you know. But it's just moved on now, now hasn't it? To it's moved on to technology. Technology, laptops and tablets. And the late, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Like my, my eldest girl, she's got a good phone, but now she wants, because her friends have got a, a certain phone, she she wants to jog her phone on and get, get this next phone. But, mm. you know, it's a lot of pressure. She's mm. just gone to a new school, so she's had bullying troubles with bullies before so hopefully this new school is going to be okay yeah but no back to your back to your point that is very 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 true uh, social media like the power of the internet is unbelievable if it's used for good and you can reach out to people and help other people i've mm. chatted with people online in forums mental health forums yeah uh, if i the way i see it if 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 my words can encourage or help just one person, that's an achievement. Hmm. Uh, and that's the, that's the whole reason you you, you know we've we got onto this because obviously you know we've been chatting about you doing a podcast because it's something you want yeah. to do but you feel you just didn't feel that you had the confidence to do it. That, no, that... I, I, that that is very very true. But hmm. once I do get talking, like I have a confidence problem, hmm. but once. I start, people are like sitting there thinking, oh my God, is he going to shut up so soon? <laughs> you no, know? but surely, I mean, with, with a subject as important as mental health, drug addiction, you know, all of these kind of subjects, you know, to have yeah. somebody willing to stand up and say, well, actually, I've been there, I've done that, you know, I can yeah. I can totally understand what's you know what you're going through, you know, whereas maybe somebody who hasn't been through that can stand there and go, well, you know, I don't quite know what you've been through, but I, I don't, you know, I've done some training and, you know, I can talk to you about it. Talking's great. I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. Talking about, you know, we, we encourage everybody yeah. who, who feels that they, they, they can't talk to talk, you know, because it's the best therapy imaginable, you know. Um, but to actually talk to somebody like yourself that has been there and done it and understands completely what they're going through, surely that's going to have more um, benefit. That's the... I, I, I would like to think so. Thank mm. you. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not in any way promoting or advocating the lifestyle that I led. Mm. I, I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Uh, I would never, ever, ever advocate it. Mm. But I can speak from experience. You know, I, I, I am a very, 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 like you said in the intro, I'm a very open book. Mm. I don't hide anything from anybody. 
If mm. somebody asks me a question, I give them an honest answer. Yeah. I, I, I can't lie. I can't lie to save my life. Um, I'm a dead giveaway. Like if some like friends have asked me to lie for them before, and I just can't do it. I end mm-hmm. up getting them in trouble because I just can't lie. So. No, well, that's not a bad you know, thing. That's not a bad thing it, at all. It's, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Uh, and I just like to be honest about my problems. And I just want to say to anybody out there, if you need to talk to somebody and you can't talk to anybody in your family or around you, mm. there's always somebody out there. You can reach out. There's forums on the line. There's phone numbers, you know, Samaritans, anything like that, or even me. I'm happy to talk to anybody about their problems and I won't judge. You know, I'll let them talk and then I'll wait for, you know, I'll give them a, a, a response. Yeah, of course, of course. And so, I mean, going, moving on a little bit from that, I mean, you were saying that you've done a spell in prison and I'm sure you don't mind me letting people know that. No, no, no. So how did that, you know, how did that come about? Maybe that's another thing that would be useful for people okay. to hear and how you coped with that. And, sure. You know? Sure, sure. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, I've been to prison three times. Uh, right. the, the first two times, the first time was 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, I was guilty. I was selling heroin to feed my habit. You know, mm. so I didn't have to run around scoring every day. Yeah. I, I, used to, I used to get like a quarter every day, go up to London, get a quarter. You know, I've done my time for it, so I can talk about it. Mm. I've, I've done my time. Mm. I got caught for that. I was very, very, very lucky, lady. Mm. Uh, it was my first of it. I got um, it was six, four, no, four months. I got. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I got four months because they caught me banker rights with a team, with a with a sixteenth of, of heroin, all wrapped up in, right. in separate deals. Mm. But I was cooperative with them, and I and I threw my hands up and said, "Yeah, look, that's fine." So that was two thousand and four, two thousand and six. Yeah. I, uh, I I'm not sure if um, you or any listeners know what county lines are, but basically it's drug dealers from the cities like London, Manchester, whatever. They send people out to look for addicts, and then they plot up in the addict's home, and yeah. then they sell their drugs from there. So I was a victim of that in 2006. Uh, so I went to prison for that. I got two weeks, I think, which was a bit of a cut. But then this last time, um, I had not long broken up with my ex-girlfriend, the mother of my eldest girl, mm-hmm. and I was in a bad way. I was very, very depressed. Uh, I'd gone down drunk a few cans of cider, uh, and then... You know, a truck pulls up next to me, asked about if I knew where any scrap metal was. So I had some scrap metal at mine. I said, yeah, mate, got some of mine. I got in, and I'm a bit drunk by this time, because I've been, I guzzled four pounds of cider. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and it, to make anyone drunk, uh, yeah. Yeah, and he's, we're chatting away, and I'm giving it all, giving it large, because I'm a bit drunk, and he's... Oh, so how long you lived here, boy? And I'm like, yeah, lived here all my life, mate. I know everybody. Can you, can you get me any crack then, boy? I'm like, yeah, mate, how much do you want? I'll make the call now. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. And then six months later, bang, bang, bang at the door. 
police with a warrant. I didn't have a clue what it was for. They're like, warrant for supply class A. I'm like, mate, I've, I haven't done that for a long time. Like, you know, they took me to the station and then they showed me the evidence. And they showed me pictures of me sitting in this guy's truck. He, he was an undercover police officer and he obviously had a little secret camera. And there's pictures of me. Like, you could see it was me. They had me banged to rights. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, you know, I've got to go guilty. Um, but and then around this time, my uh, not long after I was arrested and released, my brother passed away. My older brother. Right, that must have been uh, um, terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I've spoke about it on Twitter before, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. and I, have, you and I have chatted about it. He actually passed away on the on the day that Anthony Joshua and Dillian White fought. So that was the 12th of December, 2015. Yeah. My stepfather went to the fight with his with his two sons. Yeah. So on the 13th, you know, I'm out on bail. Uh, and then I get a phone call saying that my brother had died. So my whole world just collapsed. He was my only biological brother. I've got, I've got a few half-brothers and I've got a couple of step-brothers, mm. but he was my only biological brother. Yeah. Uh, so then... Yeah, this was the 12th of December, and then I was in court. We had his funeral on the 5th of January, and then I was in court on the 8th of January, and my girlfriend was heavily pregnant. You know, I, I, didn't, it, I didn't think that I'd be going to jail, let alone for getting a long sentence, mm. but my barrister's come out. Um, and he took me to one side and said, okay, uh, Mr. Pillar, you, uh, you understand that you're going to be getting a minimum, you're looking at a minimum of seven years. Crikey, yeah. And, yeah, my, uh, <laughs> my, st my stomach nearly fell out. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, uh, yeah. But luckily enough, I say luckily enough, I didn't get seven years, but because um, it was my third strike, you see. So, yeah. really, uh, Lakey, I should have got a minimum of seven years. So, I had a bit of a touch. Mm. Um, I got remanded that day. My girlfriend, who I'm now broken up with, but she, she was in tears, crying her eyes out, heavily pregnant. Mm. And I, I didn't know what prison I'd be going to because we was in Ipswich Crown Court. Mm. Um, so, I got remanded, taken down stairs and then I'm like what prison am I going to Dad? what prison am I going to and they said Norwich Norwich prison that's miles from where I live mm. so got reminded got taken to the prison to the prison and yeah it was it was a pretty daunting experience I, I wasn't expecting to know anybody there um, but luckily enough, when I got to the wing, one of my mates from my hometown was in the next cell. Mm. So, yeah, that wasn't a nice experience. I spent four months. I, I, I was on a methadone script, okay? So mm. this ties back into, into the drug thing yeah. as well. I was on a methadone script. I was on 60 mil of meth, mm. uh, which is a sort of mid-range dose. I mean, some guys in there were on like 100 mil, which is excessive, you mm. know? Uh, so I'm in there, and that, 
the last time I used was the morning of my court appearance. Because I made sure I saved something. Yeah. I didn't want to go. I knew I was going to be in court all day, whatever. I used just before I went to court. Yeah. And that was the last time. I go into prison on 60 mil of methadone. Uh, then I got moved to High Point, HME, HMP High Point, which is closer to home. It's mm-hmm. in Suffolk. I mean, everything you've said about there, I mean, you were saying that when you got sent to prison that final time, um, obviously your partner at the time was heavily pregnant. You got sent to a prison that was a long way from where you lived. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What kind of impact did that have? I mean, I'm I'm presuming, did you miss the birth of your child when you were in prison? I did indeed, Blakey. Yeah, I missed the birth. Um, That was devastating, absolutely devastating, because Mm. uh, Norwich Prison... As prisons go, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was on a relatively new wing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I missed, missed the birth of my child. Luckily, I was in regular contact, mm. and she was able to come up and have visits. So, uh, But, I mean, I, know, suppose, we, I suppose it wasn't the, you know, with, it probably wasn't for you, it was awful. And I'm sure for your it, partner and, your, you know, at that time. You know, it must have been a, not ideal, you know, you've got a new, new life coming into the world and, you know, all that's going on. Yeah. Obviously, you've said a, a lot of that was down to your drug addiction. Um, yeah. So so when you came out of prison after that that final time, is that when you made that conscious decision that actually you've got to change, things have got to change? Is it, was that as a result of that? I, I actually made that decision. Mm. I'll be honest with you. I made that decision at my brother's funeral. Yeah. Um, Standing at the front with my mother and her sobbing and wailing and me having to come her, I made that decision because my brother's death was drug-related, linked to drugs. Mm. Uh, I only recently read the autopsy report. And, you know, that's, a, that's for another day, but it, it was heavily linked to drugs. Yeah. Um, I made that decision then. I thought, you know, I've put my mum through enough. Mm. She's lost one child. I'm not going to lose another. Not going to let her lose another. Mm. So even though I used the day before I went to court, Mm. that was the last time. I'd made the decision two days before, but I had to have something because I was, you know, I I didn't want to be there all day. I knew I could go in there and get straight on my methadone. Mm. And that's that's exactly what I've done. You know, because I was already on a script Mm. when I went there, automatically you, 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 you get on. So I cut down while I was in prison. Mm. I, I spoke with the doctor. We agreed from, after uh, after being there for a while. We agreed for me to come down two mil every two weeks. Yeah. So that was not not one mil a week. For some reason they'd done it every two weeks, and I got down to eight mil of methadone. And then I thought, I'll be honest with you. One day we we go down to get our methadone, and there was a problem with the machine. They have a machine that automatically pulls it out, mm. gets it exact. There was yeah. a problem, and I had a bit of a hissy fit, like, yeah. like they, you know, I wanted my meth and going down, and I threw a little tantrum, and I said, right, that's it, I'm not having it, you can keep it. Yeah, I did, I, I, that's, what, that's, how, that's how it came about, and then I just, and then I stopped the methadone. It was difficult, for three days I felt pretty ropey, mm. uh, because like, withdrawals from methadone, is that, believe it or not, worse than withdrawals from heroin yeah the, the stuff that the things that the stuff that they give you to help you mm. actually causes worse withdrawal 
But after that, after that, I felt brand new. Yeah. I, I ended up putting on a load of weight because all my, most of my adult life, lately, I was around, I used to fluctuate between 10 and 12 stone. Yeah. Uh, at one point, I went down to eight and a half stone. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, mm. my thighs were like the size of my forearm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've put on a lot of weight. I'm eating better. Uh, but then there's, then there's the problem because I used heroin as a crutch for so long. It's finding something to replace. But that's what people need. But it's like any addiction, that. isn't it? I suppose if you've got an addiction, yeah. even smoking, you know, people going to eat cigarettes, vapes. I, I vape, you know, and I um, vape, yeah, yeah. And it's just you know, it's it's replacing one thing with another, really, isn't it? You know, in the grand scheme exactly. of things, and it's about how yeah. do you um, you know, for me, you know, totally different, obviously, to what you've been through. But as a vapor, you know, I sit back and think, oh. You know, I've been doing this a while now. How do I? How can I wean myself off of this? Because you're still getting the nicotine, aren't you? You know, um, which is the addictive yeah. part. So, so yeah. I mean, I think that is the way. You've got one addiction. It, even if you look at boxing, you know, we talk about you know the other show yeah. we do, sports and You know, when we talk a lot to ex-fighters and stuff. You know, and yeah. those guys, boxing to them's their addiction. You know, totally different again. Yeah. But yeah. when it, when it comes time to you know hang up the gloves, they they're desperately looking around for something. They struggle, to, don't they? They struggle. And again, that ties back into yeah. mental health. You know, a lot of them do go yeah. on to develop mental health problems. I mean, Tyson Fury, you know, is a, a prime example. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. um, you know, but he's, I know he's been very inspiring to a lot of people due to the fact that obviously, like yourself, you know, that he will quite yeah. openly talk about the you know, the problems he's had, you know, and how he's dealt with yeah. them. Um, Frank so, yeah. Bruno's my man. Frank he, Bruno. Frank Bruno's a, Frank Bruno's my guy. He, I've always looked up to him and kind of idolised him mm. as a, even as a child, but now still as well. Yeah. He's he's my guy. He's he's so open. He done a lot when he when he spoke out about his mental health problem. Mm. That done a lot for the for the movement, as, if, if you like. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, oh, totally. it, rid, yeah. it, it got rid of a lot of the stigma. And, yeah. and fair play to Tyson Fury. He's you know, I, I understand why so many people are inspired by him, mm. but people all too often forget that Frank Bruno, Frank was, Bruno the, was the man that yeah. instigated it. Like, yeah. you know? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. And he's still, <laughs> and he's a real, you know, even now, you know, he's still he's, out there. He's and such he talks a about an open book again, you know. And, yeah, uh, he's and, such, and such very man. honest about the struggles that he still does face. You know, it's not something that goes away. Yeah. It's always there, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, when, when he was admitted, the mm. uh, psychiatric unit. I was in a psychiatric time. I was in a private one. Yeah. You know, have you heard of the Priory Group? You know, the yeah, Priory yeah, Hospital? No, yeah. I mean, for people I was who in don't know, the... I mean, I used to be a paramedic for many years, didn't I? So, that, hence yeah. how we got talking. And, you know, so a lot of these That's things, it. yeah, you know, from a different angle, I can see it, you know. Um, not from Well, I was in one of the Priory Hospitals uh, at the time when he had his problems. And he very nearly came to the one that I was in. But they took him to another one. Right. That would have made my day, like, even though it wasn't a great place to meet your your boyhood hero. Yeah, imagine that. I'm in there. I'm in there, like <laughs> in, in a psychiatric unit, and big and, Frank and Bruno Frank comes Bruno, in. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, that would have made my day. Yeah, like sure horrible to see them. Sad to see him in there, obviously, but yeah. you know. Yeah, but. You know, thankfully, like I say, you know, the, I mean, we're coming towards the end of this now because obviously we only get like yeah, an sure. hour, but and it, there's so much more to talk about. Um, 
And, I could tell you lots of stories. Uh, the idea as you, is... As you see, I do go on a bit. <laughs> no, 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 it's no problem at all. Because, you know, moving yeah. onwards, the idea is hopefully you're going to put together your own podcast and um, yes. you're going to be talking to people about mental health and, and you know, drug addiction and all those different things. And and like you say, I think the main message you're trying to get across is that you're, you're there for people that want to talk if they feel the need to and there is nobody else. Definitely. But also to highlight you know the um the different things that go on you know with mental health and um yeah. and you know just to be talking about it which is what people should be doing open open up talk about it you know don't be shy to talk about it there's no shame yeah. don't feel any shame at all if you feel you get, yep. you know, if you're suffering with mental health problems there's nothing to be embarrassed about you know it's more common yep. than people um realize i think it, it actually is yeah, yeah. And especially in these times at the moment with you know, we've just been through the lockdown with, you know, COVID-19, coronavirus, you know, the lockdown for that. Yeah. Potentially, we could all be going back into another lockdown, um, you know, yeah. and I'm sure for anybody that already had a mental health issue and even for those people that didn't, there's, there's going to be an increase in it, you know, it's because it, it's a socialisation thing, isn't it? You know, people are naturally yeah. very social and, um, of course. you know, so there's, there's going to be an impact from that. So I think if you're going to do your podcast, I think it would be wonderful. And um, yeah. I think you'd probably get a lot of people coming on that would want to talk to you. And, you know, like I've said to you previously, I'm happy to help you to do that, you know. So, thank um, you, yeah. You know, it'd be my pleasure yeah. to help you do that. So Thank you, like, I mean, I'd, it, I'd love to do that. Yeah, that's no problem at all. So what we're going to do, I mean, for now, I mean, my advice to people is obviously talk, you know, talk to people yeah. if, if you're worried about something if it's a family Different. if it's a friend reach it, out even reach out a, to anybody that you can yeah and we had paul on our parent show the uh, sport and area show we had paul on there from nightingale cbd you know and he was talking about how important it is to be happy so you know and we all listened to that advice he was given which was even just say hello to somebody in the street you know go out and admire the sunshine take in the views have a look walk along the seafront you know breathe in the sea air or hug a tree he was his parting message was even hug a tree because it, <laughs> it will make you feel happy you know so even in, yeah. you know, if you're feeling really low i mean obviously there's other services out they've got the samaritans uh, i think uh, yeah. you can call them anytime day or night um their number's one one six one two three uh, that's one one six one two three, and you can email them. I think it's Joe at Samaritans org, and there's a twenty four hour response on there, and you can write letters. And there's apps and all sorts on their website. And of course, there's a whole heap of other services out there that are available for people if they feel they need it. Or as Jamie's just said, what's your what's your Twitter handle, Jamie, for people that may want to to message it's you? At Real Essex Boy. At Real Essex Boy. Yep. Okay. So obviously you're a Real Essex Boy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Fab. Well, what we'll do then, Jamie, well, we'll, we'll chat off air once this is done. You're going to set, yeah. send this out as a podcast on your own, aren't you? Because, um, you know, yeah. obviously moving forward, you're going you're gonna to do your podcast, which is going to be Jamie No Bones, and you've decided on that name because, funnily enough, somebody on Twitter thought it would be brilliant to um, troll you by calling you that, didn't they? Yeah, they did indeed. It's kind of backfired now a bit. Yeah, and, but you've taken that on board and thought, actually, I'm going to use that as my my empowering yeah. name, you know, Jamie Nobone. So it's going to be a case. Oh, sorry, we're, we're doing this from home. That's my dog. But, um, you know, <laughs> uh, you're going to use that as a tool now and that's going to be your, your podcast. So we look forward yeah. to that. And obviously what I do, I'll play some music now to play us out. So hopefully block my dog out barking. And then um, I'll catch up with you in a second, mate. Yeah, lovely. Wicked. Just like you said it would be 
Life goes easy on me most of the time. And so it is the shorter story. No love, no glory. No hero in her sky. I can't take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes off of you. Can't take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes. And so it is. Take my eyes off of you. I can't take my eyes.